Hello, ladies and gentlemen. It's Michael C. Bouchard, host of the Night Stalker podcast. This is episode number 18. And after my social rants for the last couple of episodes, we are back to unsolved homicides, disappearances, and unidentified bodies. Today, uh, we're going to go back to a book that I did in an earlier episode called Missing in Connecticut, and we're going to look at some of the uh, unidentified bodies found in Connecticut over the past um, past uh, decade or so, actually a couple of decades. Um, the first and foremost starts out with a Jane Doe. She was given a name, uh, Lorian uh, Stalls, most likely a alias. The Doe Network number for her is 1313 UFCT, unidentified female in Connecticut. Her body was found on May 30th, 1974. She is a 25 to 30 year old female, five foot four to five foot five, 100 to 110 pounds. Brown or auburn hair was found wrapped in a blanket in a shallow grave behind a house located at 139 Sherwinville Road in the town of Ledyard. Along with her was found a 22-year-old male, believed to be her boyfriend, Gustav Lee Carmichael Jr. <clears throat> Carmichael is a known bank robber, and hung around with a lot of individuals that were seedy. He was part of a uh, large bank robbery in ring that was involved in the Rhode Island, Connecticut, and possibly Massachusetts and Maine area. If you read some of the information on uh, Jane Doe, there seems to be a, uh, a ring, a, fr- a fraternal or sorority ring with the letter J-H-N-A. In an imprint of 1917. In this case, like a lot of other cases, there seems to be a pinnacle of <clears throat> believing that this ring has some significance to her. Uh, quite honestly, I don't think that was the case based on her age at the time that she that she passed away. Um, It wouldn't be practical to believe that she was born in 1917 or nor did she graduate anywhere in 1917. Some suggest that the ring may be a relative's, a grandfather's, grandmother's. However, 
<clears throat> I'm kind of more under the suspicion that it was probably a ring that was taken in a, a burglary that she probably just liked and she, she kept for whatever reason. Um, the ring was probably made um, by the LG Balforth uh, Company in uh, Attleboro, Massachusetts. And these rings were made between 1913 and 1922. Like, again, I say I don't believe there's that much significance to it as far as her personal identity. However, I do wonder why with today's newer technology, especially the parabonding, to do a DNA sample, I mean, obviously we have skeletal remains, clothing, clothing remains, um, just with that DNA, those samples, uh, the parabonding, I believe, goes out to six generations. So if you take the parabonding DNA and match it to something like Ancestry.com, you are going to come up with some type of hits for relatives somewhere, uh, just somewhere. So it would be, a, you know, it would be pretty easy to interview people and basically come up with her idea, you know. Uh, in her case, she had got involved with Carmichael, who was, as I had said earlier, part of a uh, bank robbery, burglary type of ring in the uh, New England area. As of today, she is still reported unidentified. Uh, she appears on the John Doe network and she also appears in page 182 of Missing in Connecticut. There's some other information that, that went along with it. There were some phone records, uh, some clothing, a pair of uh, brown, they look like leather boots she was wearing. But as of today's date, she has not been ID'd or identified. Um, there were individuals arrested in the case uh, for the homicide of both Carmichael and um, the unidentified. And that you can find that under um, State versus DeFreitas, 179 Connecticut point. 431 cases 1980 state of Connecticut versus Richard DeFreitas uh, first argument was October 4th 1979 that'll give you a better idea of the events surrounding her homicide and as I stated before she has not been identified although she does fit the description of two individuals I Uh, was looking for based on um, physical features. Uh, there was a uh, Cornet Cornelia Enright, born. Uh, she disappeared April twenty fourth, sixty nine, just before 
the unidentified was found from uh, Rottenham, New Jersey. Uh, second one disappeared May 24th, 69. Iconca Kane from uh, Huntington Mills, uh, Pennsylvania. They're both close in age. They're both close in physical description. Um, they may be... They may be uh, a pretty a pretty good match for these people, so I would start looking there. The second one, another interesting one in Connecticut, John Doe, found in Granby, Connecticut, on September fourth, seventy seven. His uh, Doe network number is two one four UMCT, unidentified male, Connecticut, number two hundred fourteen. Uh, this one is kind of interesting how he hasn't been identified yet because there were a lot of distinct features with this, this gentleman. Um, the victim was found, uh, face down along Enders Road, uh, in Enders, Enders State Park in Granby. Um. The victim had died from blunt force trauma to the skull, larynx, and he had facial fractures. Authorities believe he was walking or and was killed where he was found. The individual is a white male, 20 to 30 years old, 5'7", 140 pounds, with uh, brown hair with blonde roots. His hair was worn in a ponytail, had a mole on the right ear, scar on the right knee, Two U-shaped scars on his left chest, a vaccination scar on his upper left arm, missing a chipped tooth. Not sure if that was caused by the accident or an assault. Uh, clothing. The victim was wearing a white, knot, knotted, long-sleeved shirt with a picture of a beige and green building with blue rectangles on it, white t-shirt with the word Ferguson on it and yellow lettering Levi, and he was wearing yellow Levi colored pants. Um, the victim was not wearing any shoes or socks. Not sure if that had any significance, the shoes or socks. I mean, it probably indicates that he wasn't randomly walking. He was probably dumped. Uh, I don't, I haven't really taken a look to see if there were any campsites that he may have in that area or that state park that he could have walked from without shoes or socks. Uh, the absence of shoes or socks, does it, is it sending a message? Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Um, again, there was no missing persons report file for this uh, gentleman. He um, he does have a lot of unique descriptors. I mean, you know, ponytail, brown hair, blonde roots, um, long sleeve knotted white shirt, not common, uh, yellow pants, not common, You know, it's just hard to see, it's kind of hard to figure that an individual that was dressed in 
let's say, unusual type clothing wouldn't be identified or somebody would have to know. But as of this point, as of today, there's been no identification of the body. And I believe, and it's probably true, that there's been no parabonding done um, to try to make a gen- uh, a uh, genealogical match. So this is another one of the state's kind of whodunit case. Uh, there's a couple other ones. Um, we'll go through a couple of them. As a matter of fact, there was a Jane Doe found in Westport on May 19th, 1985. Her Doe number is 836 UFC Connecticut, unidentified female Connecticut. She was found in Westport on May 19th, 1985, and on ID unidentified African-American female, 30 to 40 years old, 5 foot tall, weighing about 110 pounds, was found uh, burning in a pile of tires in a wooded area off of uh, the shoulder of Route I-95 near Saco River uh, overpass, which is exit 19. Uh, The victim was wearing a woolen wrap sweater, Russell, I guess that's that's the uh, brand. Blue jeans, a bra with two safety pins. Um, I did make a note here because similarly, years later, back in 93, a uh, an African-American female was found uh, in a vacant lot near Lafayette Street and Railroad Avenue on July 5th, 93. Her body was severely burned and unidentifiable. The woman is likely between 25 and 35 years old. There is a, um, uh, what is it? Let me figure it out. About a, five, about an eight-year gap, however. Uh, the MO seems to be the same. The Victims, both victims, are both young African-American females. And both victims were found off of I-95. One was off of 27, one was off of 19, not too far apart. Which kind of makes me believe that the individual was either geographical, the suspect is either geographical, or has traveled that roadway a lot. So, these are two unidentified people at this time. Um, I'm trying to look for some others that are a little more... Then we have one, and this is kind of an interesting one. This one goes back all the way to 1886. It was, it's, um, you could find it under the shoebox murder. Um, Wallingford, Connecticut. August 10th, 1886. Um, Basically, an individual uh, was walking his dog, found what appeared to be a crate of uh, shoes that he believed had fallen off from a cart. The boxes measured 12 12 inches by 30 inches long and were lying in a clump of a low-lying brush. 
uh, after moving the box covers, um, the body of a man wrapped in a tar paper, uh, which was missing he uh, head, legs, and arms, uh, were discovered in the box. Uh, it's kind of unique, the tar paper thing. I don't know if that represents anything specifically. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. Uh, the case really hasn't, is stagnant based on the age. So I don't figure that there's going to probably be any more, um, anything else done from a law enforcement perspective with that. Uh, let me see. Another interesting one is the newspaper baby. This was in uh, Enfield, Connecticut, September 27, 1921. November 11th, 1930, construction worker, uh, construction worker demolishing a building on River Road uh, in Enfield found a deceased baby wrapped in a newspaper inside one of the building's walls. Uh, there's not much known about it. However, in 1921, the house had been occupied by Daniel French and his daughter, uh, Ada Thompson French. Um, so we don't know what that one was really about, but <clears throat> I'm kind of thinking it could have been more of a... I don't want a child, um, you know, social... Customs were different back then. It could have been a incest thing. Totally different, you know. Again, different. Uh, let me see. Here's another one, and this will be the last one for now. It's unidentified males, both John Doe's, April 14, 1969, Kent, Connecticut. These were both homicides. <clears throat> Two bound and burnt bodies were discovered on a uh, isolated dirt road near the Housatine River in Kent, Kent, Connecticut, by a couple looking for a campsite. It is suspect uh, is uh, speculated the bodies had been there for approximately three months, and could be part of a gangland killing. Both individuals had their uh, feet bound together with heavy rope. One of the individuals had his arms tied. Uh, to his side and was wearing two white gloves. Don't know if there's any significance to that. Uh, the other individual wore low-cut shoes, a short black jacket with a zipper, a chain with a golden cross, and one winter glove. Um, the, the glove thing kind of sticks out to me a little bit because it seems to be indicating something. I mean, the only thing I can think of it the only couple of things, glove, mafia, tie maybe, mafia, mafia relations, uh, white gloves, maybe thieves. But all these cases are out there. They're still uh, not solved. The bodies are not identified, which may or may not help at this time. It would be good to know who they were, but... You have to remember, most of these cases uh, are very old. Most likely the relatives, even siblings of the deceased, are probably deceased themselves. So, with that being said, um, 
it's some these are things that need to be looked into. The the first two, uh, the unidentified, uh, unidentified female from Ledyard, um, she needs to be she needs to be exhumed and parabonded for DNA sampling uh, to see any potential family match. The, may, the male in Enders Park and Granbury, the same thing. Um, those are the two cases that you are more probably most likely going to um, get an ID on. Uh, the other ones are, like I like I said, they're older cases that uh, more than likely the suspect, the victim's relatives, even the victim's sibling are probably deceased at this time. So there's probably not going to be <clears throat> too much you're really going to do with that, except for identifying which needs to be done anyway. Uh, this is Mike Bouchard, host of the Night Stalker podcast. And what we will be doing in the next episode, which will be episode 19, is going to be, is the gone girl really gone? And what this does is this is going to segue into, I believe it was the first episode of uh, Joan Risch, the disappearance of Joan Risch from Lincoln, Massachusetts in um, October 24th of 1961. Um, the movie was based off of Joan, you know, because of Joan Risch's disappearance. However, we're, we're going to get into a conversation and through this conversation and information that I, I was provided by not only the police department, my the book, my book, the Disappearance of Joan Risch, was based off the original 5,127-page report. Uh, all these books can be found on Amazon. Um, and after getting other outside information, we'll discuss the possibility, was Joan Risch really a victim? of a crime, or had Joan Risch staged the whole event. So until next time, this is Mike Bouchard, the Night Stalker Podcast, and I will be talking to you in just a little while on episode 19.